0: And tonight on that Kevin Show, she's a door kicker with a heart for justice. Former special agent for the FBI, Nicole Parker. He's a ranking officer in an army of normal folks. Coach Bill Courtney, Dr. Joel Belcamp with good news from the UN, and she's the national treasure that everyone adores. Dolly Parton tonight in the spotlight. And now, from Times Square, home to at least six of the top 27 dirty water dog carts on planet Earth, here's That Kevin! Welcome to the weekend. Couldn't be happier than to uh, be welcoming you in to to yet another, I hope it's going to be a very entertaining edition of That Kevin Show for you. I want to say thank you, by the way, to our new affiliates in Danville, Kentucky, in Corpus Christi, Texas, and tonight welcoming two new stations in Oklahoma City, uh, KTLR, AM and FM, AM 890 and 103.7 FM there in Oklahoma City. I am a Texan by birth, so for me to even acknowledge Oklahoma's existence is a very big deal. You have to just understand it rubs against the grain. It's kind of like the Samaritan in the, in the Bible. You, you, you didn't expect it, but uh, we are thrilled to be in Oklahoma City. I, uh, and I've got some really uh, good friends and family that live not far from there. So very, very happy to be there in the heart of the plains uh, in the Midwest. And we've got some interesting stuff for you tonight, friends. I am very jazzed about this conversation we're going to have with Nicole Parker. If you don't know this, this woman's story, she became an FBI agent because of 9-11. Uh, she she wanted to to give back serve back. She was a very big success in the world of finance, and she decided to become an FBI agent. But the story as to why she left the agency only recently is equally compelling. So we'll get into that with her. And then we've got we've got a slam dunk assignment desk weekend this week. The stories they they practically write themselves. We'll also go tripping in Times Square, which will be a lot of fun. And uh, did you see that new uh, campaign commercial from Mike Pence? <clears throat> we, we have we have a version that uh, he did not authorize to release to the public. And I, I, I was curious enough about the one that did get released. I can't wait to see the one that he didn't authorize uh, to go to the public. Anyway, it's a big, big show. Thank you for being here. I don't know if you were paying attention, but the end of the work week, the last couple of weeks, has been a big news day. And on Friday, the administration... Uh, the Department of Justice uh, very quietly did a couple of things. One, it, it dropped uh, the the criminal case in Delaware uh, against Hunter Biden. Now, this was these were the criminal charges that they thought they had that slam-dunk plea deal done on. And then when they went before a judge, the judge went, uh, what? No, I don't think so. <laughs> Give you permanent immunity for anything you may do wrong in the future? I don't think so. There is no get out of hell free card just because you you gonna make a deal with me. Nope, that's not how this is gonna work. So that was kind of so now the DOJ, because they're because Merrick Garland's a partisan hack, uh, he can't actually just go forward with the trial and just let Hunter be found guilty on the things that he's obviously gonna be found guilty on. So what did he do? He went back to the prosecutor and he says to the prosecutor, hey, look. You, you wanted to be a special counsel before, and you've already run the story out there that I didn't. I didn't let you become a special counsel, so now I'll make you a special counsel. But guess what? You won't have to get a report to me till, say, I don't know, December of twenty four. Will that give you enough time to work on all the stuff that's going on? <laughs> it really, when you think about it, the blatant crass. Uh, nepotism and partisanship that this administration has, has shown us, it beats anything in the modern era. I don't know of anything that's been more corrupt than the government in the United States these days, especially this White House, especially this president and his his lying to you and me. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm just an old man. I just want to eat my ice cream. But it, behind the scenes, yeah, okay, let's get let's get let's get Hunter a plea deal. And look, they didn't take the plea deal, so we're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to drop that case, and then we'll set up a special prosecutor, a special counsel, and then that that'll take at least another year and a half to get done. So we won't even have a report until after the next election. Hmm. <laughs> oh, and guess guess what? I'm betting you begin to hear uh, very very well. We can't talk about that. That's under that's under investigation. Corinne Jean-Pierre, I bet you anything. Corinne Jean-Pierre on Monday says at least once in the in the press conference at the White House, well, you know, that's under the investigation of the special counsel now. We can't talk about that. They know they know how to they know how to they know how to pick them. Well, there's other people still looking into stuff. And I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh the House Oversight Panel, that's James Comer's committee, um just this week unloaded the latest rounds of evidence that should put a pause in every American's heart, regardless of what political party you belong to. Because what he brought to the table were receipts uh, on the paper trail of payments that have come to the Biden family from the countries of Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, And others, I did not know Kazakhstan had been in the mix. Now, now I do because of this revelation, but they have actual paper trail receipts on deals in Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. While Joe Biden was vice president in the Obama administration coming to the Biden family of which 50% went to the big guy the big guy of course being the man who was vice president who had the name biden so that everybody else could use this is how he's this is how he's made his money but 20 million dollars while vice president from foreign adversaries russia is not an ally that's just those three countries 20 million dollars so the house oversight and accountability committee is going to subpoena they announced this week They're going to subpoena the president. They're going to subpoena the first son. The president may say, "Ah, executive privilege, I'm not going to come testify. But he's going to have to defy the subpoena. Hunter can't do that. And there may be others that they end up um, calling to be before them. Uh, Comer said this week, it's clear Joe Biden knew about his son's business dealings lied to the American people and allowed himself to be the brand sold to enrich the Bidens while he was the VP of the United States. Friends, Joe Biden embodies the absolute worst instincts and worst qualities and worst possible um, model for what a public servant should ever be. He, lied to people when he ran for Senate, he lied to his first wife to snag the babysitter to become his second wife. He, he lies about his son's death, Bo at every campaign stop. He claims Bo Biden died in Iraq. He died in a hospital in the U S he didn't die from wounds suffered in Iraq. He he died of uh, a, a lung situation. He, he, He doesn't discipline his children. He took showers with his daughter. He let his son become a drug snorting, uh, hooker chasing, um, you know, money machine for the family. And he made sure his name was not on any of the paperwork, but he made sure that he got 50%. I can't think of a more reprobate, reprehensible example of a public servant at any level of government i wouldn't vote for somebody like that if they were running for dog catcher uh, to be candid with you i don't think that that joe biden embodies anything that i would that i would ever want in any elected position at any level and that's the genuine problem he's not just the dog catcher he's the most powerful man on planet earth Co-opting the Department of Justice, prosecuting his opponents, letting his criminal family walk free, and figuring out ways to manipulate the Justice Department to make it happen. It's disgusting. It makes me want to puke. He should be run out of town, out of office. All right. We've got some very interesting discussion coming up next. Nicole Parker joins me, former special field agent for the FBI, on exactly why she felt like she needed to leave the agency at this point in time. Coming right back from New York.
2: I knew it. Uh, Come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too.
0: Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my next guest is someone that I did not know the story of until I just ran across uh, her on another media outlet this week. And I've got to tell you, I am really thankful that she's with us uh, to be able to discuss all of this because she was very uh, pure in her motives in terms of why she joined one of the most important law enforcement agencies uh, that has ever been uh, created. And yet, if it does not get its act together, there are a lot of Americans that are very concerned about what the future of the Federal Bureau of Investigation will actually lead to. So would you put your hands together and please welcome Nicole Parker. <laughs> Nicole?
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Good. I, I was taken by your biography. You joined the FBI after being very successful in the world of finance. Why?
1: September 11th of 2001 is a day that we all remember. And for me, it changed my entire life. I was very young at the time. I was in Tower 1 Uh, one hour before the first plane hit, and I was actually in the World Financial Center when the first plane hit the North Tower. And I just had a very powerful feeling in my heart that day um, when I watched that catastrophe unfold right before my eyes. And they were officers from the New York Police Department that were actually the ones that were like, get away from the towers, right? Because we eventually made it out of our building. After the second plane hit, I knew that this was not um, a coincidence or an accident, Um, I knew that we were under attack. I was very young. I was far from my family. Uh, My boss was actually in Japan that day, and I was just following what everybody else was doing, and I was absolutely terrified. Um, The curiosity in you, you're standing right below the towers because you're just so curious, but yet you know this is not right. We're in danger, and I need to get away. And it was actually the officers from the New York Police Department that continued to say, get away from the towers. Everyone needs to get away, move away from the towers. And I will never forget having so much fear in my heart, but looking towards that law enforcement authority to give me a feeling of comfort. Like I was going to be okay and I could get to safety and I will never forget that. Hmm. And when I saw the sacrifice that was made by so many that day, firefighters, police officers, all those that, you know, lost their lives. I knew in my heart that one day I wanted to do something to get back and serve this country. I wasn't exactly sure what it was. I didn't make an immediate decision to leave finance. In fact, at the time, my father said, you need to stay right there in New York City, because if you leave and come back to Texas, no one's going to understand what you went through. They're probably going to think you're crazy. You need to heal around those that have been through the same trauma that you did. That's why That was probably some of the best advice I could have gotten.
0: Yeah.
1: So I did. I stayed in finance for several years thereafter, and there was just something in my heart that kept saying, you know, I just don't feel fulfilled. I ended up leaving, um, you know, the, the banking side. I went to a hedge fund, and, you know, I was doing well. But you know what, there was something in my heart that knew God had protected me that day. And I wanted to give back and serve this great nation. And I love the United States of America. And I looked around and I thought, where can I serve? And it was actually someone from Wall Street that said, you know what, you should consider joining the FBI. And I thought, mm. that's just so I would have never thought to do that. But I actually knew an agent. I spoke to him. And I did. I. Uh, went on to FBI.gov and I just went through the normal application process just like everybody else. And I was in the academy uh, within about seven months from the date that I took my phase one test for the FBI. They gave me academy date, and I was off to Quantico.
0: So how long until you were in the field as a field agent for the Bureau from
1: 9-11? Um, I started in 2010. Okay, So it was about nine years total.
0: That's quite a journey. And so from 2010 until just recently, you've been a field special field agent for the FBI, and you recently made the decision to um, leave. I want to get to that in, in a little bit, but let's talk about the types of things that you did at the agency and why you found it to be fulfilling and meaningful.
1: Okay. So, I again, I started at Quantico, as we all do when you're an FBI agent. Um, You're assigned a division. I was assigned the Miami division, of all places. I thought I would go back to New York or go somewhere, uh, you know, maybe in Texas, but it was Miami. Um, I got to the Miami field office. I was assigned to work white-collar, which naturally made sense, right? I had a Wall Street background, a finance background, so they put me into the white-collar world. And I did. I worked Ponzi schemes, you know. Uh, pump and dumps, you know, all sorts of financial crimes, and it was good. I mean, I I worked some really large cases, you know, $300 million Ponzi schemes, um, you know, very high profile cases, but it was when I made the decision to transfer over into the violent crime squad, um, you know, I was in white collar for four years, and then uh, there was an opening on the violent crime squad, and I made that decision, and I was selected to move over to the violent crime squad. Then I worked violent crime for the bulk of my career. For the rest of my career, I was working violent crime in one capacity or another. Um, Violent crime meaning, you know, what you see on television, homicides, extortions, murder for hires, um, threats. Uh, I worked Crimes on the High Seas. I was the Crimes on the High Seas coordinator for the Miami wow. Division, working all the cruise ship crimes, um, which entailed sexual assault, sexual assaults of minors. I worked human trafficking. I worked in, then I moved over to the Crimes Against Children area, recruiting sources of human trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking for adults and for minors. Wow. Um, you know, these child corno- pornographic images, things like that. Those were the types of things I was working at the very tail end of my career, but the bulk of my career was working violent crime.
0: So I've talked to other agents and there's always been this kind of um, feeling that I get from them that when they join the agency, that there's a real esprit de corps, that there's a, you're serving a noble cause and and you're serving in a noble way. And I know that for many, many years, there has been an emphasis on the character and the uh, integrity of an agent's uh, reputation and who they are and so forth the the need to not be able to be blackmailed and other things is very important in the in the line of work that they are in some people seem to indicate that that around 9 eleven that began to change when it became more of an intelligence operation than an investigative operation or a law enforcement operation and I'm curious to what degree, since you joined after 9-11, you sensed the kind of honor and the uh, decorum of integrity being kind of torn down for the sneaky and the underhanded and the the we have to spy on people to find out what's going on to keep people
1: safe kind of thing. All right. So I think it's important to make that differentiation, right? Um I think that I was a criminal agent, right? There's different divisions within the FBI. There's right. the criminal side of the house. There's the counter um, the intelligence, the counterterrorism. There's different areas and units. I specified my emphasis on um, criminal, right? So I was working active shooters. The Parkland school shooting, I had to do death notifications for that. The Fort Lauderdale airport shooting. So the FBI really is segmented into different areas. I myself was focusing on the violent crime. And I did come in post 9-11, so I wouldn't have known the difference before or after 9-11, how it changed. But I can tell you, even in the time since I joined in 2010, there was a definite shift from it being more of a criminal emphasis into an intelligence emphasis, where um, intelligence analysts started going to Quantico with agents, and they were actually in the same class for a portion of their training, which was not the case when I joined the FBI. I was in agent training class, and that was it. Now it's like there's such an overlap, and there is a very strong emphasis on intelligence.
0: Let's uh, pause right here. Nicole Parker, former special field agent for the FBI, is my guest. Uh, we're coming right back. It's That Kevin Show from Times Square. Ready or not, you will be right back. Welcome back. Uh, If you have missed what we've discussed thus far, Nicole Parker is a former special agent for the FBI. She now comments uh, in the news and elsewhere on uh, things related to law enforcement, particularly as it is relating to the news of the day. And we're grateful for her perspective on all of that. Nicole, I want to get into why you left the agency, um, but not for the good in in, in your sense, in your estimation. And you felt like you needed to walk away. What happened?
1: So, like I said, I was working, um, you know, the criminal matters of the FBI, but there started to be um, an increase in what we would view as politicization at the FBI. And it became very um, apparent to all of us during the summer of 2016, particularly July 5th of 2016, when then director Jim Comey went before the nation and said that no basic, reasonable prosecutor to that effect would investigate or charge um. Hillary Clinton, which we all thought was very interesting and odd because the FBI director's job, our job in the FBI is to gather evidence and to present it to prosecutors for evidence and to, I'm sorry, present the evidence to the prosecutor for prosecutorial decisions, and it seemed like he was almost making that prosecutorial decision, and we all thought that was a bit off, right? We're like, wait a second. If there's all this that's evidence, why job. is he making that call?
0: Exactly.
1: Um, then it kind of launched into the Operation Crossfire Hurricane. And again, this is all involving people up in the D.C. area, people up on the seventh floor, people up in executive management. So those of us in the field that are on the ground ground level working violent crime or whatever your violation was, it, it didn't really affect you necessarily, right? So you're like, that's happening out there. That's not me. I'm but just it did make do, you scratch your head business. a
0: little bit and say, is this oh, yeah. the agency that I went to work for?
1: Oh, absolutely, 100%. And so over the years, it just kept amping up. And then we got a new director, right? Under President Trump, we got a new director. So we were all thinking, okay, well, this is a a time of redemption. Like the new director is going to get things back on track. And unfortunately, it just didn't seem to be happening. In fact, it seemed that there was not a lot of leadership going on and things were just kind of continuing on a trajectory I just wasn't really comfortable with. And again, it's not about your political views. Your political views should be completely irrelevant when you're an FBI agent because you are tasked with investigating crimes, gathering evidence. And as they like to say, follow the evidence wherever it goes and buy the book. And it just seemed like, you know what? There are a lot of people not doing that. Like, wh- how can you sit there and tell us that we're doing everything following the evidence and buy the book? But there was this continuous pattern of Seeing that they're going, uh, you know, investigating and prosecuting those on one side of the political spectrum with such um, aggression and vigor. But yet on the other side of the political spectrum or social views, you almost get a pass. Like, don't worry about that. We're not focused on that. And, And there just seemed to be such a disparity between how different people were getting treated. And that is not the oath that I took. That is not upholding the Constitution equally and unbiasedly. That is not Lady Justice being blind. And it was difficult to ignore that. And it got very frustrating because I kept having to defend myself, even though I had nothing to do with it. Those in the Miami, you know, individuals that I was trying to recruit as sources, for example, they didn't even want to talk to me. They're like, I don't trust you. I don't trust the FBI. And I'd always have to say, look, I'm not a political agent. I, I have nothing to do with that. I'm just here to do my job. Wow. No one so trusted It actually them.
0: impeded your ability to do the very thing you signed up to do which was to make the world a safer place
1: and and i don't i i witnessed the terrorist attack on 9-11 okay i came to serve this country and to protect individuals and i had that opportunity to do that i served with honor i tried to be there for victims i had a very victim-centered approach i wanted nothing to do with politics i frankly many people said hey you should go to headquarters you should go you should go to dc we need people like you in dc and frankly. I didn't want to go to DC because I felt like the biggest impact I could make was in the field. And I even would say, I, I don't know if I'd be willing to drink the Kool-Aid that's required to be at headquarters. I just, it's not my style. I just want to do the work. And frankly, the best agents I know were the ones on the ground level that were just in there working cases and investigations, but the politicization just became so loud. It was drowning out the work of those trying to focus on the real cases. And it, it I just said, you know what? I think I can make a stronger impact for this country outside of the FBI. I think I can continue to serve and make a stronger impact outside the FBI. And so well, I walked away. Well, I it don't think there's any I, walked.
0: I don't think there's any argument that certainly through um, crossfire and through uh, some of the other, you know, Russia collusion and, and you know, some of the agents that were involved in General Flynn. And, you know, there was just there, there just seemed to be a lot of agency attachment to some of these things that once we found out the truth about them, the agency should have never had their hands involved with it. You know, and and lying to the FISA courts and stuff like that. I mean, that's that's really where the reputation of this really important uh, agency that that we've come to depend on in really really critical criminal matters uh, in the past l- loses its not just its shine but its ability to really have the trust of the people and i think that the fbi is only successful as the people are able to trust the agents okay let's take one more break we're coming right back so honored to have nicole parker with us tonight stay here ready or not you'll be right back Back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. All right. Final few minutes uh, in bonus coverage, actually, with Nicole Parker. Did not expect to uh, keep her this long, but so grateful that she is so passionate about uh, what is wrong with uh, what we've seen in the headlines in the last few years. And Nicole, I was thinking during the commercial break, um, you know, there was a laptop that a certain president's son uh, turned into a, a repair shop in Delaware. That the agency had in its possession for more than a year before uh, a story broke in the New York Post about it that was then largely condemned, some by former agents and some by other national security experts publicly. And then I think when the American people saw the roll up on Mar-a-Lago last year, you know, I just think people shook their heads and went, what's going on here? Do you have solutions for people that would like to see the FBI reformed or does it have to be kind of leveled to the ground and rebuilt from, from the ground up? What's your what's your take on that?
1: You know, that's a very important question. Look, I was doing real work, okay? In all humility, I'm gonna tell you, I was doing my best to to really serve the people and to protect them and to put victims first and things like that. And I, I work shoulder to shoulder with amazing task force officers and other agents there are good people doing good work and they are still there at the Bureau. They don't have the liberty to speak up. They don't have the platform necessarily. And frankly, they don't have the liberty. When you're employed, you can't say a word. And they need their pensions and I respect that. But I can tell you from my perspective and I respect all views, I understand there are people that want to abolish the FBI. But in a recent op-ed I wrote, I personally don't think that's the solution. Frankly, I think the FBI needs to have their feet held to the fire. No, we're not gonna just let you just ruin this amazing institution you need to shape up and we need to fix this. But frankly, I don't believe, my personal opinion and others, I don't think it changes under this administration. I think that we're talking major changes would have to happen in this country with new leadership starting at the top. And then I wouldn't say abolish it, but I think there definitely need to be some major transformations. I think Americans need to know that they can trust the Bureau, that there's transparency, um, changing the way that it's structured, changing the promotion process, the hiring process, um, you know, all diff- different sorts of things. The Let me ask a specific. practical
0: uh, side yeah. of that. Sure. If nine eleven moved the FBI from a law enforcement first mission to more of an intelligence gathering mission, would removing that plank from their mission be one of the kind of cornerstones of a reform that you would like to see happen?
1: You know, that's a very important question because as we're seeing a lot of the corruption, you're going to notice a pattern, right? It always seems to be on the intelligence side of the house, right? You're not typically seeing a lot of corruption coming out of the uh, criminal side necessarily. A lot of it is stemming originally from what might be determined as the intelligence side of the house. I do believe that intelligence is, is important for the FBI intelligence gathering, but myself and others believe that there maybe should be, you know, there are other countries that run it very well, and they actually have a domestic intel agency, and they have a criminal agency, and when they're needing to work together, they do. Um, I think that there are a lot of potential solutions. I think that's something that I'm actually working on. I have the opportunity right now to do some work with AFPI and giving some ideas. And so stay tuned. There's going to be a lot more that I hope comes forward. But to think that I'm willing to just walk away from this. Um, there was a big story that came out this week about two agents in the Miami division that were shot and killed. Um, that Laura Schwarzenberger and Daniel Alfin were amazing, amazing special agents. Laura happened to be one of my very best friends. Mm. And I can tell you, there are people at the FBI doing real work that you never hear about. She paid the ultimate sacrifice. She gave her life. I will not allow this agency to have their reputation to the point that she, Her family is no longer proud of her legacy, necessarily. I'm not saying that they're not. Of course, they are always going to be proud, but they should be proud to say, hey, yeah, my mom was an FBI agent, and and it should be honored and respected, and that's just not really what's happening right now. So I do think that there are changes that can take place, but I'm I'm just being brutally honest. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. It's going to take a lot of humility, admitting the mistakes, and I think that's part of the problem is a lot of people feel that the current leadership, until you can admit that there's mistakes, nothing's going to change. And they keep saying, hey, that politicization was under our predecessor. That was under the other director, not under me. It is ongoing right now. It's got to change. But um, I do want everyone to know that I am not one that believes in abolishing it. There is good work going on. You don't hear as much about it. There are solutions for this problem. It's going to take work. It's going to take dedication. But there are people that love this country, and I want it to be successful. I want the FBI to be successful.
0: So let me propose and get your thoughts on a proposal. Um, My friend Katie McFarland, who um, served multiple presidents in the Pentagon in a civilian capacity, um, but is the equivalent of a civilian decorated four star. And she has spoken decisively publicly about an idea that. If Trump or someone else is elected in 24, that what you do is you come in and the woke aspect of the military, you fire everybody that's a three and a four star. You just send them to early retirement or say thank you for your service. And then you promote the two stars that were coming up under the Trump administration before people that are not woke, that are more focused on mission actuality, et cetera. Is there a similar kind of path that the FBI could adopt? Maybe everyone on the seventh floor that is above a certain director level is gone, and you bring in guys that have been field agents and have that kind of work ethic and the, and the integrity of, of what the, the agency's always represented. Would something like that work?
1: as I'm hearing you talk about that, those are some thoughts that I've definitely had. I think that's absolutely true. I think the FBI director, frankly, needs to be a former agent. I think it needs to be someone who has had the gun, had the badge, had the credentials, has, you know, hit hit doors, as we call, done operations, been in the field, people that have not just been in the D.C. area their entire career. I think that there needs to be a rotation of individuals, people that are inside the beltway for their entire career. It. it I don't know what happens, but it just changes things, and we need fresh faces, we need fresh ideas, and I agree. I think the hiring process for the Bureau has changed drastically since I joined. You should be hired based on your qualifications and your credentials, period. I do not want to be hired anywhere because I'm a woman. I want to be hired because I am the most qualified candidate, period. And I think that the Bureau has focused so much on social issues, social justice issues. That's not why I came, Frankly, if I want to do that, maybe I can go work for a different corporation that that's our number one priority. But when you are entrusted to protect the American people, that when you go to to arrest someone, they're not going to care whether you're a female or what your religious or sexual preference is. They care that you are the most qualified. And I think that's a very important aspect of this aspect of transforming the FBI back to what it was as well.
0: Nicole Parker, thank you for this generous use of time tonight. Please come back and see us again and keep us informed on um, these things, because I do think there's a potential to reform uh, the the system, but it's going to take brave people like you speaking out. And We're sure thankful for you to be here tonight.
1: Thank you so much, and God bless everybody. You
0: thank you. It. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York. Don't go anywhere. Ready or not, we'll be right back. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that cabin show, ladies and gentlemen. America's sweetheart, Dolly Parton. I've paid my dues,
2: time after time. I've done my sentence, but committed no crime and bad mistakes. We
0: 2024 here on that Kevin show. We've got a big second hour straight ahead. Hope you'll stay with us. Uh, Bill Courtney of undefeated fame. When we come back.
2: Hey, get the soundtrack search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple music.